When I was a kid, I always disliked presenting things, you know, like especially in class, because you'd come out and you'd present these, these whatever, the class projects or these PowerPoints or whatnot, and what would always happen was the teacher would ask, all right, class, what'd you think? And you just kind of just stand there at the mercy of all of your classmates as they kind of picked you apart to pieces. And it, it was one of those things that, I mean, we've all had to go through to some degree or another. And I think it's one of those things that none of us particularly like. I mean, it was the reason why I didn't like speech or debate or didn't the reason why I like, you know, presenting these things. And also certainly was not the reason I liked homiletics class in seminary. That was the worst. You get up there, you preach in front of all of your piranha-like classmates, and then they tear you to absolute shreds. That's what I figured, at least kind of knowing that experience that I've always had, and I think it's an experience that a lot of us can relate to. That's what I always figured was kind of what Jesus felt. You know, he comes in on this public stage. He receives this, this incredible gift of, of hearing the Father proclaim that this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And probably... He probably desired what I desired. A little bit of introvert time after that. Kind of a, a way, like an escape to recharge after setting forth for the first time on the public stage. And that's what I figured this gospel was all about. For years, actually, I thought that's what this was all about. That the temptation of the desert, the, the time that Jesus fled into the desert, was essentially divine introvert time. Essentially a way to leave this public place and prepare himself for public ministry. Seems logical. You know, he's, in, he's engaging in one of the greatest acts of redemption that mankind has ever seen. Wouldn't he need a little bit of time to reflect? But a quick study, based off the church fathers and modern scholarship, would completely disagree with my argument. And what they say is something else. What they say is that this here escape from the, to the desert is not a retreat at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. This escape to the desert is actually a battle, a war cry, an act of fighting against the devil. And what, he's, what this modern scripture scholarship essentially says is that whenever a, a king was anointed in the Jordan, like Hezekiah, one of the first acts they would do was they would lead their troops into battle. They would prove themselves on the field of battle, whether it was David or like I said, Hezekiah or Saul, they would always kind of flex their muscles and flex their strength to show that they're here to fight for Israel. And the same is true today. Whenever we're looking at this, this temptation in the desert, what we're looking at is a man not running from anything, but a man going and fighting the real enemy of Israel. And it wasn't the Sadducees, it wasn't the Pharisees, and it wasn't Rome. The real, Israel, the real enemy of Israel, the real foe of that beautiful promised land was actually the foe of all of mankind, and that was the devil. But the question becomes then, okay, so let's say Jesus is going to the desert to wage a war. Why in this stage? Why does it look like this as opposed to, let's say, just summoning up the devil in front of him after he's been baptized, after he's been anointed king, and just kind of laying a whooping on him right there on the spot at the River Jordan? Why not look at it like that? Why does it have to be 40 days in the desert, in a retreat, and why does he have to undergo temptation? And, you know, this is, this is one of the reasons why I never really like preaching on this gospel passage, because it's, it's always hard to find a good reason. 
Why is it that Jesus is in the, in the, the desert being tempted to eat bread, throw himself off of a cliff, and worship Satan? And it wasn't until recently that I think I figured out the answer. And not a lot of ink has been spilt on this. The reason why, why Jesus is in the desert fasting, subjecting himself to temptation, is because the Father is allowing Satan to tempt the Son to the, in these three ways to show the world what Jesus would do on the cross. He's showing you and I exactly what Jesus is trying to accomplish in his earthly ministry. And here's what I mean by that. What's the first temptation? Look, take these rocks, turn them into bread, and feed yourself. And what does Jesus say? Man cannot live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, we are not here to simply live on bread. We're here to live on the words of God. And what words came out of the mouth of God that feed us? This is my body. This is my blood. Not merely bread alone, but words that come forth from the mouth of God. What we're looking at is Satan going into Jesus and saying, you have the power to give of yourself. You have the power to make the Eucharist. You have the power to feed mankind with bread. Why don't you use it on yourself? Why don't you take your gifts and use it so you can nourish your own body? You've been fasting for 40 days. Use it yourself. And Jesus rejects that temptation. But then what happens after that? The devil takes them up to the temple of Jerusalem and has them stand on the minaret and look down on the Kidron Valley. And as he's looking down the Kidron Valley, he says, throw yourself off of this valley and be saved. In other words, flex your muscles. Show the world that you cannot be killed. In other words, what, what Satan proposes to Jesus is that you have the power to cheat death. In other words, you have the power to avoid being killed. And what does Jesus say? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, this is not the plan of God. The plan of God is not for me to live immortally on this earth, but rather to lay my life down in a humiliating way for the forgiveness of sins. Satan was essentially tempting Jesus in the desert to come off of the cross. And to avoid the sacrifice of the cross and instead feign a suicide. And Jesus says no to suicide and yes to sacrifice. Yet again, Satan is trying to take Jesus' mission and trying to make him turn it in on himself. But then finally, what does Satan do? He brings Jesus up to the tallest mountain, shows him all the nations and says this could be yours if you prostrate yourself and worship me. Now, this seems absurd. Why would Jesus ever do this? Well, the fact of the matter is, that's the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is to enter into this world and to essentially become the king of the world so that we can be saved. And what does Satan do? He essentially gives him the keys. Here you go. Take it. All you've got to do is worship me. That simple. In other words, Satan is taking salvation from Jesus and bringing it into himself and saying, look, I can give you this crown without the cross. I can give you the ability to rule over this earth 
without you having to suffer, without you having to die. You can feed yourself, you can live forever, and you can rule over everything. Just serve me. But what does Jesus do? Instead of taking power at that moment, which he could have well, very well done, just taking it for himself, instead he gives the power away. One of the hardest things you and I can ever do. And how does he give it away? By looking at his apostles and his disciples and saying, go forth to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what Jesus does is instead of taking over control himself, instead of ruling himself over the whole world, he gives that ability away to the Catholic Church, the universal church, the church that is literally in every part of the world. There's no continent where there is not a Catholic church, including Antarctica. And that's the beauty of this gospel passage. What we're doing is we're watching Satan try and uncover the battle plan of Christ, and in doing so, he himself is being fooled. He himself is being defeated, and he himself loses this valuable battle, showing us ultimately what we need to do if we want to serve Christ. And it's this. Guys, we have power. Lots of it. The power to preach the gospel, the power to make children, the power to to bring smiles on people's faces, the power to serve the poor. We as Catholics have lots and lots of power, especially to the power of prayer. And the temptation of Satan is always going to try and take that power and say, don't use it on others, use it on yourself. Preserve yourself, save yourself, do all these things for yourself, but don't waste it on somebody else. You'll be tired, you'll be exhausted, and you you will not have the energy to ultimately tend to yourself. But guys, that, like, that is the voice of lies. That leads to misery, that leads to happiness, and it's not going to help you, it's not going to help me, it's not going to help anyone. And that's the value of Lent. We often talk in Lent about fasting, about praying, giving things up, and absolutely these things are essential. But the purpose of Lent and the purpose of all this fasting and this praying is so that we can then become people of service. Serving not ourselves, but serving one another, and of course serving the Lord which is exactly what Jesus does in today's gospel. So my dear friends, I want to encourage you to be men and women this Lent. Make a resolve to be people of service, whatever that might look like. Call a relative you haven't talked to in a while. Write a letter to somebody you know would appreciate it. Be, go, go serve food at the diner. Go and out and actually lay down your life and find ways in which you can serve. And truly, you and I, by doing these acts of service, will be overcoming the temptation of the devil, the temptation to claim a crown without the cross.